R.T. Kendall said that's a prayer that every time you pray it, you're praying the perfect will of God. Think about that. That that prayer is the perfect will of God. And so if you're unsure how to pray in the will of God, make the Lord's Prayer. And again, we're not turning it into a, a mantra, some magic hocus pocus, but it's a template, it's a pattern of how Jesus taught His disciples, His followers, how to pray. And you know, as we live in our world, our culture, uh, we are inundated with stresses and, and uh, issues and problems that meet us every day. And I think one of the most difficult things as, as, a, as a human being is to uh, re- come to the realization, and it doesn't take long to come to it, is that there's just a lot of things that you and I do not have control over. Have you realized that? Sometimes we think we do, but there's a lot of things that we don't have control over. A few of those things that, and again, I encourage you to use your listener's guide that's in the bulletin. It'll help you get more out of today's message. But what about uncontrollable circumstances? There's just some circumstances that take place, whether it's stuck in traffic at Champions Gate or an issue in life or your family. There's some things that you just don't have control over, and those oftentimes are circumstances of life and situations. Uh, How about uncooperative people? You know, no matter how much you try to be nice, giving, gracious, they just keep digging into a posture of being mean and grumpy, right? And it doesn't matter. And there's just some people you just have no you have no control over their behavior, and, and many of you understand this, the lack of control over unexplainable pain that comes into our life. We don't know why. We might know why from the science, but pain, and of course pain is more than just physical pain, even though many of you are walking through that right now, but there's emotional pain that oftentimes can be as excruciating as physical pain. But those things in life are realities that we all deal with. We all deal with the kind of things in life that you have no control over. But for the believer, what should encourage us or remind us, point us, is everything we don't have in control over, there's one who has control over everything. There's nothing beyond his grip. And today, as we look at the second part of the Lord's Prayer, we want to talk about that and talk about the the, uh, the kingdom of God. I like something Charles Stanley said about prayer. It's not on the screen or in your notes. And we're talking about prayer. And we all need to, as followers of Jesus, we want to pray, not just pray more in a, in a ritualistic way, but pray in a relational, effective way that we are uh, connecting with God, that we really feel like we're developing a relational uh, uh, time with the Lord. Charles Stanley says effective prayer is not magic, it's not speaking the right string of words or using the correct formula. Instead, it's about communicating on a heart-to-heart level with the God of the universe. And I'm thankful that Jesus gave us instruction here in Matthew. There's a counterpart in Luke that Jesus responds to the disciples who asked him to teach them to pray. Uh, Teach us how to pray like you. We hear you praying. 
And in Matthew, the context is Jesus responding to the phony, baloney, hypocritical, showy prayers of the religious leaders uh, that gave an impression that they knew God, but when in reality, they didn't. So the Lord's Prayer, sometimes we refer to it as the Disciples' Prayer, but the Lord's Prayer is the title that we're familiar with. And in chapter 6, verse 10, is what we're going to look at this morning, where Jesus in the second part of the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the title of this morning's message is called Developing a Kingdom Mindset. Developing a Kingdom Mindset. Thinking as kingdom-minded people. That Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting, if you just, for example... Uh, look in the Gospel of Mark, you see right away in the middle of that chapter, Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is present. And everything that Jesus does from then on is demonstrating the authority of the kingdom that Jesus has come to announce and to display. Whether it's healing or salvation, the kingdom rule of God is present with us. There's a aspect that certainly is future. Sometimes we call this an already, not yet. There's an already part of the kingdom of God that with the reign of Jesus that we are participating in, but we certainly know that there's a future reign when Jesus returns, that when Jesus is king and sets up the kingdom of God upon the earth. But what is the kingdom? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's not being a member of the Republican Party. And it's not being a member of the Democratic Party. It's not political. It's not political. Now, as Christians being salt and light, there's spillover. We should have righteous people in government. I think that's a good thing. I think we do better when we have righteous people ruling in authority, right? We're not going to have perfect people. But the kingdom of God is not a political party or entity. It's not physical. It's not an institution. It's by nature, a spiritual kingdom at its source. But, again, the spiritual has uh, overflow into the physical, just like the spiritual transformation of our life should have overflow into our workplace and our family. So it's not saying it's totally disconnected. You remember when Jesus was asked by Pontius Pilate there at his trial I think it's in John 18, he uh, asked him, Pontius Pilate asked him, says, you are, you are the king of the Jews. Asked him that question, you are the king of the Jews. And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. That means its origin did not become because I was leading a movement, because I was, I'm campaigning for some office. My kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual reality. Where is the kingdom of God? You know, the Bible says the kingdom of God is in heaven. In other places, it says the kingdom of God is within you. In other places, it says the kingdom of God is on the earth. as a present reality. So which one is right? They're all right. The kingdom of God is in heaven. The rule of God, we pray, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is within you. The The presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Look, the kingdom is wherever 
Jesus is king. We're his rule. And you've got a place to write this in on your notes. God's kingdom is wherever God's will is done. Did you catch that? God's kingdom is wherever His will is done. If God's will is being done in your marriage, your family, guess what? The kingdom of God is visible. If God's will is to be done in this church, then the kingdom of God is present and a reality in the church. If God's will is to be done in your career, your job, your education, the kingdom of God is present. We pray thy kingdom come, not just for some limited aspect, but thy kingdom come is the will and the rule of God to permeate every aspect of my life, our society, and our culture. Let the rule and reign and the presence of God be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You realize there's no debate of who's in charge in heaven. There's no vote in November to elect a new king. All right? Now, let me just take a little side note and remind ourselves, as I'll do time to time, talking about the kingdom of God and prayer, and I spent a little time in this in our introduction, that when we come to realize that prayer is the divinely authorized means that God has given us to access the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and to get that kingdom, the rule of God, to intervene in the affairs of our earthly life, it should affect the way that we pray, the way we think about prayer. Tony Evans has written a lot about the kingdom of God that I like, and I, I mentioned this uh, the first week, and I'm going to use it time to time, but I like his definition when he says, kingdom prayer is the divinely authorized methodology to access, that's an important word, to access heavenly authority for earthly intervention. God has given us the authority in Christ, based on Christ, not, our, not you know, uh, generated by ourselves, but He has established the kingdom rule and used prayer right here at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer. The second, the second stanza should clue us as he began, our Father, talking about God's authority, the kingdom, is God's agenda. And if we're not about God's agenda, we got trouble. Some of you have taken Experiencing God. I love the basic premise that Henry Blackaby teaches in that Experiencing God study. When he says, you're concerned about, where, about getting in on the will of God, he says, find out what God is doing, where he's doing it, and get in that. See, we always kind of start over here and like, hey, God. God's like, hey, how you doing? I'm over here. I got this agenda. So right at the beginning, we, we see the kingdom of God is first, uh, is foremost in our prayer. The word kingdom means rule and authority. So when we talk about God's kingdom, we're talking about His comprehensive rule over all creation. There's not a speck of dirt. There's not an atom, A-T-O-M. There's nothing running amok, rampant, that is not under the sovereignty of God. It doesn't mean everything is running according to the will of God in one sense, 
because we know that there's sin, there's evil in the world. We know that there's evil present, but nothing escapes the sovereign rule and oversight of God. You see, we cannot say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. We can't say that if we are not willing to report for duty in the kingdom of God. If we're not willing to serve in that kingdom, it's, doesn't, it doesn't connect. We're not really holy is thy name. We're just talk, but we're unwilling to report to the king and be submitted to the king. We can't pray our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and say, and by the way, God, let's discuss my agenda on the earth. No, it doesn't work that way. It's God's program. It's God's agenda, just by way of reminding us about the kingdom of God. And that's why we need to have a kingdom mindset, to have a mind that thinks and orients itself in understanding around the king and the kingdom of God, the rulership of God. Again, make no mistake that in the Lord's Prayer, we begin with exalting the, the, whole, the Father as holy, that He is an authority, and the very second part that we pray to calibrate our minds has to do with the kingdom, His rule in our life. And I want you to notice four things and you can follow along in your listener's guide, and that'll be helpful to stay on track and not go to sleep on me and uh, read your Bibles, take something home, and you've made the investment to be here this morning. I've done the heavy lifting. All you got to do is fill in a few blanks and follow some scriptures, and guess what? People want to talk about Bible study? Well, here's a clue. This counts. We're going to study the Bible, all right? So you want to study the Bible? Here you go. This is your opportunity to make the most of it and be engaged with the Word of God. Having a kingdom mindset, number one, means letting go of control. We love that, don't we? We don't like letting go of control, even though we really don't have control. You know, every morning when you and I wake up as believers, we immediately... In one way or the other, are making a decision about who's going to be in control of this day. Now, we know ultimately God never relinquishes that. But in the morning, we decide, God, am I going to, am I going to, am I going to follow your agenda or I'm going to be struggling and tussling with you all day to make you fit in and be frustrated why you're not following my agenda? That's why when we make that a part of our prayer, we're right out of the box making that decision, a choice, a quality decision of God, I am setting my mind and my heart on kingdom thinking today. That means what is the agenda of the king going to be today? Are you going to be in control or God, I'm going to right here relinquish and say, God, you are, you are in control. I'm confessing that today. That means, God, you're in control of that cranky boss at work. You're in control of that coworker that always seems to drive me crazy. God, you're in charge of my children today. I can't be with them 24-7 and watch everything they're doing. But, God, you, God, you're in control of my kids. You're in charge of 
my marriage. And so, God, I'm going to commit myself to a kingdom mindset. You know, Psalm 46.10, in the tradition, the way we read it, uh, is be still and know that I'm God. I like one translation that says, let go and then you will know that I'm God. We don't like to let go. We don't like to let go. Let go brings fear that if I let go, what's going to happen? God says, be still. Or the Hebrew can also be translated to let go. In other words, relax your grip and let God take it from here. You see, developing a kingdom mindset means that I am letting go of control over the issues and areas of my life that really I have no control over. And so we have a daily tussle, sometimes an hourly tussle of who's going to rule and reign in my day today, trying to do only things that God can do, trying to control only things that God can control. Some of you uh, know what the serenity prayer is. How many of you know what the serenity prayer is? Now, I'm not talking about Seinfeld episode where it's serenity now. I'm not talking about that, Melissa, so, or I'm just telling you now. All right, I'm not talking about that, all right? The serenity prayer. Most of us are familiar with the first part of the serenity prayer. We're talking about letting go of control and having a kingdom mindset. Look at this. First part is what we're most familiar with. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We got that on plaques, on coffee mugs. I mean, we're familiar with that. But most people don't know the rest of this serenity prayer that I think was written by theologian Reinhard Niebuhr many years ago in the 12-step program, adopted it and modified it a little bit. But I think at its core, I don't have an issue with it if we're linking it to truth. But notice the second part of the serenity prayer, the one that we don't have as much familiar with. It'll be on the screen. Okay, so we say, uh, give me the wisdom to know the difference. And here we go, living one day at a time. Jesus taught that. Don't worry about tomorrow. Living one day at a time and enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy. You're never going to be completely happy, right? But reasonably happy in this life and, of course, supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Listen, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? I don't have an issue with that. And so the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, we're confessing thy kingdom come. We're at the very beginning acknowledging God, regardless of what I kid myself in thinking, I don't have control. You have control, and I'm going to sink or calibrate my mind around your truth. Romans 8, 6 says, if people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, there is death, no life. But if their thinking is controlled by the Spirit, there is life 
and peace. God, I want my mind to be controlled by the Spirit. It begins with thy kingdom come, letting go of what I have no control over. Notice, secondly, having a kingdom mindset, secondly, means learning to be content. Godly peace, the peace of God, contentment is the key. The serenity prayer pointed out that anything you can change, well, go ahead and change it. I mean, you can change your hair color. You can change the furniture in your, your living room. You might be able to paint your walls. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can change, right? We're not talking about that. But what about the stuff you can't change? You see, what do we do with that stuff? That's what breeds this frustration and discontentment in our life. It's, it's what do you do with that stuff? And the alternatives are not helpful. I mean, we can worry about it. That doesn't work. We can resent it and get bitter about my situation, and that doesn't help. We can feel guilty about it and ashamed of it or regret it. That doesn't help us. That doesn't change anything. We can have self-pity about it. That doesn't work. We can be fearful and anxious. That doesn't help us. There's only one thing that I think for the believer, again, we're talking about a, a kingdom mindset, is getting our minds, our hearts, our spirits calibrated around the kingdom of God, the order of God. And I think the Apostle Paul gives us some great counsel in Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. I'm going to read it from the New Century Version. Paul says in verse 11, I have learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I'm poor, and I know how to live when I have plenty. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time and in everything that happens. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ because He gives me the strength. And you know what's profound about that? Most of you know this. That when Paul wrote this letter, the uh, Philippians, not to the Philippines, the Philippians, it's the city of Philippi, all right? Just want to make sure some of you knew that. Uh, you know, he wasn't staying at one of Jim's Wyndham Resort condos that Jim works for the Wyndham Corporation. He wasn't staying there. You know where he was? He was in a prison in Rome. He was in a dark, damp, stinking hellhole of a prison when he would write something like, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, if I'm up and I'm at you know, a resort or somewhere and I got my feet up and I'm, I'm kicking back and life is good, it's, that, that rings hollow to say those words. But you take somebody who's in one of the worst physical conditions and situations, and they say, I have been, I have a, I've been given this gift of a revelation that I can do all things through Christ. I think there's some credibility there. And in your outline, I want you to circle something in that Scripture. Circle the word learned in your outline or in your Bible. Paul says, I have learned. That means Contentment is something we grow in experientially. We don't just arrive there. Hopefully as we get older, 
we grow in maturity as believers and just in normal life, but especially as believers that we grow in a maturity because contentment, contentment is not saying, you know, just throwing your hands up. Contentment is resting in the will of God even when I don't see what he's doing. Job had to learn that, didn't he? I always say, boy, Job probably would have had a different perspective if God had given him a little heads up of where this thing was going. He didn't do that. He had to walk through it in real time. Does that mean he did and said everything? No, he, he was human just like us, frustrated, friends with bad advice, wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, you name it. But then he reached a point where he could say, though he slay me, yet will I, what? Trust him. Yet will I trust him. You see, maturity in the believer's life learns contentment. Immature people are never content. They're always upset. They always got a chip on their shoulder. They're always in this roller coaster of emotions. Because they've never settled this aspect of contentment, of learning to be content. That's part of submitting and surrendering in the kingdom of God. And we don't do that in our own self. That's not just grit and positive thinking. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through what? Through Christ. Through Christ. I remember when I was a kid in school, and I'm sure when you were in school and your classroom and you would have certain periods of time throughout the year that you would have to take these tests. I guess they determined, you know, I don't know what they determined, but determined I didn't know as much as anybody else, but we had to take these tests and the children, I mean, the teacher would say, all right, children, no talking. Take your pencils out and go. Fill in the blanks on that test. And even the teacher would be quiet for whatever that time period was. They'd be totally silent. The teacher is silent when the test is given. Sometimes when we're walking through questionable circumstances in our life, we don't have the answer, guess what? And we're being tested... The teacher is silent. God isn't giving us a running commentary over what's happening. The teacher is silent. You see, that's when, and maybe that's part of the test, is God determining, are you going to learn to be content when you don't know everything that's going to happen? When everything isn't laid out in front of you, when the bottom falls out, are you really going to trust me? You remember going back to Job, you remember when the, when the devil came into the presence of the Lord and said, let me have at it at that servant Job. Because the only reason he serves you is because everything is so good and he's wealthy and he's got everything going for him. Let me pull the rug out from out. Let me bring some suffering in his life. And then you'll see. Then you'll see where his heart is. You know, testing 
Testing often reveals what's in our heart, doesn't it? C.S. Lewis said, paraphrasing, that God whispers in our pleasure, but shouts in our pain. Because you see, it's only when we go through the rocky roads, the pain of life, sadly to say, that God, God, that's only oftentimes the way that God can get our attention. Right? James reminds us, and I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. The message is not a Bible to use for serious study, but it's a paraphrase that sometimes brings a little light, sometimes a little darkness, but it's mostly light, uh, the paraphrase. But notice how he words this, I think is good. James 1, we're talking about uh, consider it joy when you walk through trials. The message paraphrase says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it, that's the testing, let it do its work so that you may become what? Mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. There's a third aspect of having a kingdom mindset And that means, thirdly, laying down my plans. Laying down my plans. You see, praying, thy kingdom come, is prioritizing God's agenda for my life. Saying that, God, you are my Father who are in heaven. You are holy. Your kingdom agenda is at the top of my list today, tomorrow. It speaks about prioritizing God's agenda for my life. Proverbs 19.21 says, People can make all kinds of plans, but only the Lord's plan will happen. I like that. Only the Lord's plan will happen. You know Matthew 6.33? It's a great scripture in this study, but seek first the what? The kingdom of God. Seek first, that means prioritize the kingdom of God, the agenda of the king and his righteousness. I like the New Living Translation. It says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need. A kingdom mindset means, God, I am submitting to your agenda. You know, in, in the Gospels, and of course, many scenarios, but I think in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus changed the agenda, when He came on Peter, uh, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, And they were doing what they do most every day in their business. They were fishermen. They were members of local 824. They were in Galilee Union. And uh, no, I don't know if they were a union member. Uh, But they were fishermen. That was their profession. That was their agenda. Catch fish, sell the fish, make money, feed my family. That's their agenda. That's their world. And here Jesus comes along in Mark 1, 16, and as he walked, Jesus, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And verse 17, the king said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. You see, Jesus gave them 
a new agenda. He gave them a kingdom agenda. Transformational kingdom assignment. You see, when you work for the king, it's transformational in nature. Notice what he said. He said, I will make you something you are not presently doing. It's transformational when you're under the authority of the king. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you to be rescuers of lost men and women who need this gospel. So I ask you, what are your priorities? You see, the prayer, thy kingdom come, speaks to our priorities. Right? We're not asking for bread. We're not asking to be relieved of temptation. We're just getting our, our order here in thinking. Where are my priorities? Are they kingdom priorities? That's why it's strategic in this second stanza to get our minds and our hearts in sync. We want God's priorities. You ever put on a shirt or a jacket and you button up your jacket and you realize you missed one of the buttons? And it's kind of, right? Everything was out of line because you realize you buttoned it wrong. You got to unbutton it and start it all over. That's what happens when God's kingdom mindset priorities are not included in our life. Nothing will be aligned. Hear what I'm saying. Nothing will be aligned properly unless we put God's agenda first. The reason some of you have such turmoil and constant friction in your life, in your families, in your marriage, your children, all those things, is because you've not made the decision. I'm not talking about being saved. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about a decision that you're going to prioritize God's agenda for your life. You're going to take seriously the Word of God and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Nothing will line up. Until God's kingdom is your primary concern. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I make the kingdom of God my primary concern? One way is you begin to learn that the thing, that what's important, that the things that God cares about, those things you learn what God cares about, and you start caring about what God cares about. God doesn't care about half the stuff we do in our Christian life or in a church. We put a lot of emphasis on a lot of things. You know, I'm not saying there's no practical purposes. I like soft chairs. I like air conditioning. I like, I like a night. I like all those things. There's nothing, you know. But our priority isn't that. Because if that's, if that's what's keeping us together. But God cares about people. God sent His only begotten Son to rescue broken men and women from their sinfulness and to bring them and reconcile them into his family. So the very first thing, when Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? Love God and love his people. If you'd ask folks in many churches, they'd give them an eight-part series. DVDs, outlines, workbooks. Jesus makes it simple. Isn't that something how Jesus just makes things? He just cuts right 
through all the mess, and he makes it so simple. What is the greatest commandments? Love God. Love His image bearers. Pretty simple, isn't it? So you want to start out by getting acclimated and aligned to the kingdom? Then start caring about the things that God cares about. And there's great promise in that. Look back at Matthew 6.33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. You prioritize the agenda of God. And guess what? In that context of Matthew 6, if you read a little before that, that's where people, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He said the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers, they run after these things. But you make sure you button the top button first. Seek first the kingdom of God, the agenda of God. Developing a kingdom mindset means I let go of control. I learn to be content because I know God's in control. And because God's in control, I can lay down my plans and follow His master plan. And the last, number four, of having a kingdom mindset is leaving the future to God. You ever worry about the future? Older I get, future, that goalpost is a little closer than it was 10 years ago. Might even be real close, and I don't know it. God knows it. And it's easy to worry, fret, be anxious. Some of you are walking through some uncharted waters, concerned about the future. Remember Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I'm going to read it in two different translations from the English Standard Version. It's more familiar. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. You ever lean on something that was unstable? You ever lean on a door? that wasn't quite locked, and you lean on it, and guess what? Your body goes, you're leaning on something unstable. My wife loves it when I, you know, do stuff and, and fall and trip. You know, she just thinks that's hysterical. You're leaning on something, and all of a sudden, you know, talking about that wonderful mountain, I was leaning on Pedro and a stick, right? You know Pedro? Yeah. Don't lean on your understanding. In other words, don't put your full weight on something. Hear what I'm saying. Don't put your full weight on something that is unreliable. In all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what's the promise? He will make straight your paths. Look at the Amplify. The Amplify is just a Bible study tool that tries to expand maybe some of the Hebrew and Greek. The Amplified, same verse, reads this way. Lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind, and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge Him 
And He will direct and make straight and plain your paths. That means that He's going to keep you on the right track. You don't have to worry about the future. He's going to keep you on the right track. He says, if I choose to trust in the Lord, and I don't listen to what I think is best, or listen to others that always are constantly swaying my opinion, but I'm trusting in God's kingdom mindset agenda, and I acknowledge Him in every area of my life. See, that's what the kingdom is, is acknowledging His rule, His dominion in every part of my life. He says, I will make your paths straight. I will protect your, your path. I will keep you on the right path. You see, when you get the top button buttoned, hello? He assures you, you don't have to fear about going off track because you're, you're synced in with the king. You're following him. Oh, it doesn't mean there's going to be times in which, and many times, as I said, when the teacher's quiet, but in that quiet time you're saying, look, I don't, I don't know the answer here, but I know this. A lot of times people think that pastors have all the answers. There's a little secret. We don't. We fake a lot of answers. We're Googling some of the answers. But here's my point, is knowing that there's a lot of things people will ask about something difficult in their life or a tragedy or something. And you've heard me say this before. And I've just learned to say, I, I, I don't know the answer. I can't give you why. But I can tell you with assurity this, that I do know there's a lot of things about God's ways I certainly don't know. But I do know this, that God is holy, righteous, loving, not willing to let anyone perish. That I know the character of God is good. So based upon what I do know, I can lean into that and trust God. And I can leave the unanswered stuff, knowing that it's in good hands. You know the Allstate logo? You're in good hands. Listen, you're in good hands. In the hands of God. And you can rely on Him for your future. And I think keeping this right priority and path straight is part of what is walking in the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You want to know how to walk in the Spirit? Keep in step with the King's agenda. It's not a secret. The King's laid out the Constitution and the, and the Word of God. It's not hidden for some secretive mystery. He's made it plain. But there's one condition. Psalm 37 in the Good News translation says, The Lord takes care of those who, what? Obey Him. Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Go to church. No, He says, if you love me, keep my word. Obey what I say. John Corson, a Calvary Chapel pastor in California, says, there's only two kinds, I think this is at the bottom of your 
outline. There are only two kinds of people. Those who are in harmony with God's purpose, saying, Thy will be done. And those who live for themselves, saying, My will be done. But see, we haven't, we don't really take time to look at the second part. We're not going to really delve into it. We don't have time. But notice the second part of the Lord's Prayer, or this stanza in chapter 6, verse 10, where he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, and there's a place you can write this down, reminded of two things. God has a will of his own. God has a will of his own. God is not learning. Hear me, God is not learning anything from our prayers. Well, Lord, we want to pray for so-and-so. You know, they live on Elm Street, and it's a third house, the yellow one painted. Um, and Lord, you know, uh, you know so-and-so. And, and, and we're like informing God. God has never learned anything. He has a will. He has an agenda. Thy will be done. God is not waiting for our response to act. And then here's the other thing that's wonderful, is he invites us and wants us to participate in it. He wants us to participate in it. Your will be done on earth. That's me. We enter a divine participation. Think about that. See, this will transform your idea of the Christian life from just kind of a religiosity of, of, of just a creedal, confessional, just kind of doing you know, what you need to do. And then, okay, I, gave my, I clocked in for my 90 minutes on Sunday, and that's, you know, I gave God my time, and the rest is mine. No, 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 no. Every breath in your lungs is God's. Every heartbeat is God's gift. Thy will be done. And God invites us, just like he did Peter, to participating in his agenda. I will make you fishers of men. I want, God wants us and invites us into a divine participation. And one of the means that he's given to this, and I want to read that Tony Evans quote again in this context, is he's given us the means of prayer. He says, kingdom prayer is the divinely authorized methodology to access, apprehend, Heavenly authority, God's authority for earthly intervention. God has given the believers access and that right. You see, your kingdom come. God, in Jesus, calls his disciples as we pray to make a pledge of allegiance to the kingdom of God. And if you want to know the kingdom purposes of your life, we need to be daily committed. If we're going to say the Lord's Prayer and make that part of our, our daily routine, we're daily committing ourselves to the kingdom agenda. You know, when the U.S. Athlete, US Olympic athletes, when they get their medals, the gold, the silver, bronze, whatever it is, and they're standing on that, that place, uh, and the United States has won the gold medal, they hear or any country rather, but Americans, they hear the anthem, the song representing that nation. They hear that song that represents them and their accomplishment. Because why? Because they are a kingdom citizen of the United States. They're hearing the music, the national anthem of the United States. When you are called and participating in the kingdom of God, you're called 
to march to God's tune, not your own. You're called to, to stand under the banner of God's kingdom agenda, His flag, His anthem of what God is doing. We pray your kingdom come into my life, all of my life, your will, your agenda be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Sean and I went to the Dominican Republic, that uh, coming back, I learned that you want to travel with Mike Williams. Because Mike Williams has done that so many times. He knows mopes like me, and it'd be overstanding a line. Mike knows, he knows people. He knows people at the airport because he's seen them and interacted so much. And Sean said, it's good that Mike is coming back on our same flight because we want to stick with him. He'll get us through faster. And he did. I don't mean he broke any laws. He just knows the deal. He's done it so often, and they know him. And we had a little snag. I had a little snag with something I was supposed to. But anyway, we got through, and boy, expedited, man, went through. I thought, man, this is the way to travel. Travel with Mike. We're all just going through. But guess what? There reached a place where as good as Mike Williams was in leading us in traveling, there was a place that he could not help me. And that was when I went to that little booth and had to show them my passport. I couldn't say, oh, I'm with Mike and Sean. They've done this before. That meant nothing. You know what I had to show them? I had to show them my government-issued legal passport that gave evidence legally that I was a legal citizen of the United States of America. And if I didn't produce that, guess what? You would be writing missionary letters to me down in the Dominican Republic. Listen to me carefully. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To enter God's kingdom is only through Jesus as your passport. It doesn't matter who I'm traveling with. Because when I came to that little booth, I had to show my passport with my photo. My legal entry as a citizen of of the kingdom of the United States. You want to enter the kingdom of God, you must come through Jesus. He's your passport. He's your entry. You come individually marked as a citizen of the kingdom of God with the passport of Christ. Let's pray.